I never thought when I suffered for six years with two bouts of hypothyroidism, bawling my eyes out every morning, barely being able to get out of bed and even think, I never thought that that would become a success story and help people at that moment. And so the biggest gifts in life, they come wrapped in shit. they do, they do. And so if you're out there and you're dealing with some bad stuff, I'm telling you there's some golden nuggets in there. You may not find out about them till later, but you keep persevering. Welcome to Couch Talk. As a mom, I've had challenges with mommy confidence. You know, uh, when I moved here from Emory as a physician in Southeast Georgia, I was not the stay-at-home mom. I was not there on time to pick up my kids in the afternoon. I was working 80 hours a week in obstetrics and gynecology and sometimes not back for one, two, three days on call and in my practice as a solo gynecologist and obstetrician. So I had struggled with mommy confidence and have done a lot of work to really regain that. And I feel just even recently driving back from Washington, D.C. with my three of my daughters in the car, just like loving the time I'm spending with them and what beautiful young ladies and women they've become and relishing in the mommy I've become to them as imperfect as I've been and all. And so when I have this opportunity to interview Elle Ross, who is a friend of mine and in the space, I've interviewed her before on paleothyroid And she's a fabulous guest and such an energetic speaker and just a wise woman. She came out with this book called Confident as F-U asterisk K. So confident as yes, that's right. And her book is full of pearls and wisdom and scenarios, stories and anecdotes that each of us probably have experienced to some degree or several of them downer people, negative energies around us, uh, negative relationships, and our own self-limiting, defeating thoughts, talks, and behaviors. And I know I have. I've dealt with it. So what does confidence look like today for each and every one of us? As confident as you may be listening, as I may be speaking, where can I up-level my confidence in the beautiful, dignified, and regal way that I know I can. So sharing this couch talk with you and this episode with my dear friend, Elle Russ, on her book, Confident as Here we go. So excited to be with you again, Elle. I am just thrilled to have you here and excited about your new book. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me again. And I love our conversations and look forward to seeing you in person again at Paleo FX. So That'll be fun. Although this time we passed in the night though, when we were there last time, this time we're going to sit down at that VIP dinner and hang out. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to it. It's such a, it's such a great event and it's a great time and a great time to connect. So for our listeners, Paleo FX is held again in Austin this year in end of April. 23rd or something like that, 25th, 6th, 7th. But I encourage all our listeners to join us. It is an incredible event. And of course, it's in Austin, which there is no better city. I just totally love Austin. But now, Elle, you've been up to a lot. I had you on my podcast. And for our listeners, Elle and I have chatted before. We are like minds, like spirit. I just love her passion, her energy, her enthusiasm. And we were talking keto and thyroid and really just get it, nailing it. One of the best 
and most popular podcast that I've had. So I want to thank you for that. And when I saw that you kind of shift gears in writing this book, I was like, of course, this is the book you were meant to write. And so Elle's book is called Confident as F-U asterisk K. So this is her new book. We'll just refer to it as Confidence as Confident as F, and it is just perfect. So I really want you to share a little bit about your story, and especially something that so many of us deal with, a shame story that inspired you to be who you are. There's lots of uh, different reasons why I wrote this book, but one is that throughout my life, I mean, anyone listening to me right now can say, oh, she's a confident person. You know, that's, that's exactly how awesome. You can be confident and on stage with 50,000 people and get off and not be confident at all. You can be the most insecure person in the world with low self-esteem and low self-worth. So performance confidence is not what I'm talking about. And I'm not trying to encourage anyone in this book. In fact, some of the most confident people in the world are the quietest people in the room. In fact, sometimes the loudest people in the room are the most insecure. So I don't want anyone to misinterpret that. I'm trying to promote confidence in the way that you and I might have it in terms of podcasting or performance or even public speaking. Even if you're a stay-at-home mom, you're going to need confidence. You might need to speak up to some total B parent of a child at the PTA meeting, you know, or whatnot. It doesn't matter. Everywhere in your life, from the bedroom to the boardroom, you're going to need confidence. And what I mean by confident as F is all encompassing. That's inside and out. And it's so important because confident people are usually the most authentic. They are the most revered. They're the most employed. They're usually the most successful. And there's a reason for that because they do speak up and they, you know, stand by that tenant of, hey, never hurts to ask. And they take chances and risks. You know what I mean? But there's also pitfalls to confidence too. And I had those as well. So while I'm a very confident person and always have been, the pitfalls of confident people, confident people are often quite alpha. And I mean that in a very positive way. When I talk about alpha, I don't mean, you know, 80s movie with a guy smashing a beer can on his, you know, on his forehead. That That's just, you know, machismo and false confidence. But it's important because the pitfalls are very clear. Confident people really have issues with vulnerability and being accessible to others. So when you're highly confident, we don't want to show any kind of weakness or vulnerability. And the way that plays out is we're kind of unattainable. People can't really get to know us. You know, we can get to know you, but we've got this sort of wall around us. We also have issues with diplomacy, like thinking before we speak, because we're very highly confident and opinionated, and we're just ready to ready to pounce on our opinion. And this is where less confident people or the people that would come to such a person like me for confidence where we can learn from them. They are often more able to receive from others help where we're like, no, no, I got it. I'll do it. And they also really do think before they speak. And even though they might have issues speaking up, they have a level of diplomacy that we all can learn from. And there's some more pitfalls here too. So even if you're listening to this and you consider yourself highly highly confident, this book is also for you so that you can refine those areas. And I guarantee because so many people I know are highly confident that have read it. And they're like, you know what? I thought I had cleaned up some stuff in my life. But as I read this, I'm realizing that eh, there needs to be some fine tuning. And then if you're at ground zero and you're so shy that you can't even speak to someone and that's your level of confidence. I've seen people do 180s and this book is for you too. So, you know, this is about ditching bad vibes 
and cultivating confidence inside and out to create your dreams, you know, achieve your goals, live a happier life. Confident people are usually happier. They're usually more successful and they're kind. So when we think of confidence, a lot of people who aren't outwardly confident get a little offended and defensive because they're not necessarily like boisterous or outgoing or talkative. And so they get offended thinking that that's what confidence means. And like I said, you know, my best friend from high school is the kind of guy you'd see in the corner at a party standing by himself. And other people might be like, oh, that poor guy is all alone in the corner. Not poor guy at all. He's comfortable in himself. He's observing everything. He's just enjoying himself with or without people, completely confident, not worried about what people are thinking of him. So, you know, this is just a really big, important topic. And when I say confident as F, again, inside, outside, self-esteem, confidence, so that you can move forward and get what you want in life. There's a lot of people who are confident in their abilities about something, but they're not confident. So, you know, I heard someone once say, gosh, you know what? I really know my stuff. Like this is a PhD talking. And she said, I really, really know my stuff. It's just, I'm not confident. No one's going to come to your door and ask to buy your paintings. If you're an artist, you have to get out there and sell yourself, especially if you do have an idea you want to present the world. And it doesn't even matter if you have a big idea or you want to be a corporate head honcho or a public speaker, you still have to speak up in order to get what you want out of people in life. And we've all had moments where we've walked away from conversations and be like, damn it, I should have I should have spoken up. I should have said something. I re- and, and, and those are the regrets we have. And I don't want people to have those regrets. And I can tell you right now, because I am confident as F, that I live in that world. And honestly, it's a really great world to live in. I feel so good because I don't, I always speak up. And on that note, we're not talking about, um, you always have to have an editing button. If I'm at your grandmother's Thanksgiving and She's like, we think sweat and it's ugly. I'm not tell her the truth. Yes, sometimes lying is appropriate. So this is not about going out there and being some brash person who's pontificating confidence about self-examination and cultivating it from within. I love that. You know, and it's also cultivating confidence in other areas of our life. Like sometimes we're so confident in one area, but not in other areas, like confident as a, a physician, but, you know, confidence as a mother was shaken for a while, right? And you got teenagers, like, what the heck, you know? So gaining that confidence. And to me, it's tied right into courage and also self-realization, knowing our, knowing our skills and knowing our yes from our maybe and our now. Totally. And I'm glad you brought that up because one of the examples in my book is a guy named John who is an anesthesiologist, high level of confidence, sticking needles into people's spines, putting them out for surgery, having to bring them back to life. He has zero lack of confidence in this area. And he also is a spear fisherman in his spare time as a hobby. It is an incredibly rigorous sport. It's dangerous. You're out in the middle of the ocean with sharks. You're, you know, you're spear fishing a 150 pound creature and you're, it took an hour to wrangle that thing to the surface, highly confident. So people might see this guy and go, wow, what a confident guy. Look again, because he can't even have a conversation with his neighbor about something really, really small. And that translates into his relationships where he can't speak up. Okay. So you can be confident in your abilities about a thing. And again, this is about getting into all the areas of your life. And the biggest area in my life where it it suffered was due to what you mentioned, which is shame. And I have an entire chapter on this called Shame Disables Confidence. Last year at Paleo FX, I did a speech called The Shame of Disability and the Disability of Shame. So something most people don't know about me because I've been talking about thyroid forever, 
for the past few years. And it just wasn't right to combine a bunch of different topics until I was ready to, you know, come out with this book. But so when I was 22, I was permanently disabled. I have a hand injury from repetitive strain activity using the computer. I was rated at a 40% disability by the state of California. I still have it. I'm not in chronic pain anymore because I don't use my hands eight hours repetitively. But I was 22, making six figures. I had a corner office. I had a closet full of Armani suits. And my next promotion was to be making a quarter of a million dollars a year. I was managing 100 guys throughout the state of California working for Fortune 500 companies. I was on fire, Anna. And I, at that time, was like, oh, oh, I am so going to be retired. By the time I'm 35, I'm going to have, you know, Porsches in the driveway and a couple of homes. My plan is working. And as they say, when you make plans, God laughs. And that was the case for me because what happened was, is one day my arms literally stopped working. I could not hold a fork in my mouth. I couldn't hold a cup in my hand. I couldn't wipe myself without pain. My arms went numb every single night. I still cannot sleep on my sides, which was something I had to train myself over many years to do. I was in chronic pain 24 seven. And after a year of this and intense physical therapy and realizing, you know, m- multiple hand surgeons saying, hey, look, here's the deal. You're going to have this for life. It'll get better if you rest your arms, but you're never going to be able to go back into some job that has you working eight hours a day repetitively. Now, anyone listening to this, you've probably adjusted your hands 50 times already. Secondly, this is a hand-based world. I challenge anyone to give me an idea of any job where you don't have to use your hands repetitively eight hours a day. I can't work at a Starbucks. I can't be a waiter. I can't you know, uh, work a cash register. I can't work at the grocery store and be a checkout person. If you're in a wheelchair and you have the use of your arms, you have way more job opportunities than anybody with a hand disability. And so at that moment, I'm 22. I'm permanently disabled. Now this amazing job in my financial future, I'm crushed. And I'm sitting in my apartment in San Francisco. I mean, I was just so devastated. You can only imagine. And my arms were dead. I couldn't even talk with them like I'm talking with my arms now. And I had my first horrible thought of intense shame, which was I sat there and I thought, who's ever going to want me? Who is ever going to want me? My arms are dead. I don't even, I can't take care of kids. I can't be a wife and clean up and get kids ready for school in the morning and button shirts and all of the things that I know that it takes. You know, you're a mother. It's nonstop hand work. Unless I I thought at that point, unless I won the lottery, there was no way because I'd have to have like a staff of people who could help me. I can't even hold a baby in my arms for a certain amount of time before I have to put the baby down. So moment, very young, sitting there at 22 going, who's going to want me? And that is such a sense of worth, you know, worthlessness. And it was awful. And I even thought, gosh, you know what though? I don't want to be a hypocrite. I don't know that I would choose a guy who had dead arms at the age of 22. Why would I choose that? Why wouldn't I want to choose someone who was able-bodied? So immediately when you're disabled, and this goes for anyone, I don't care if you've gotten into a car accident and lost your arm or you're Bethany Hamilton and it was bitten off by a shark, doesn't matter. There's an immediate sense of shame, embarrassment, fear for your financial future, and fear that no one's going to want you. And so it was so depressing. And I spent so many years with this shame. Now, lots of people were like, it's not your fault. No one will care. And they were trying to be helpful, but that was really discounting my shame and kind of saying that I was ridiculous for feeling this way. So as an alpha female who was so confident, I was 
so embarrassed and mortified to say that I was disabled, to admit that I received long-term disability payments from my company. Anything that had that word in it just seemed like I was defective. And then when you have something you can't see, nobody understands it. So people are much more compassionate when you're missing an arm or you're in a wheelchair. But when you have rheumatoid arthritis or a hand injury or something that you can't see, people question it. People are always giving you ideas. And so after time, I started to be like, you know what? This is just giving me PTSD, like kind of talking about this whole experience. It's very sensational. Everyone's like, oh, that's awesome. You won the insurance lottery. Like, that's really cool. Well, I won the insurance lottery for $45,000 a year in California, which is, you know, like a preschool teacher. No offense to preschool teachers, but assuming that, oh my God, I'd be on my own for life. I was like, how am I going to move forward in life without my hands to make more money so that I can get ahead? And then that moment, I was like, I have my voice. I have my voice. So I went on a 20-year journey to use my voice. I did a voiceover demo. I went back and did sketch comedy training in Chicago. I've been on TV and film. And now I'm a writer, something I never would have thought would happen. But you know, I use voice dictation software most of the time. And what happened was, is it really ruined a lot of relationships for me. And this is where, again, I'm confident in all areas of my life, except for what would happen was, is I, with friendships, here's how it manifested. I was too embarrassed to tell anybody. So I would stay on the peripheral outer edges of groups because I thought if they ask me too much about my life, they're going to eventually ask how I make my money, how I have all this free time. I'm going to have to tell them the disability story. They might question it. They might not believe it, whatever. I just wasn't willing to face that shame and embarrassment. So no woulda, coulda, shouldas, but I'm here to tell everyone now, if you've got any kind of shame, it has to be dealt with. Now, you don't have to do a Facebook Live or do a speech at PaleoFX. You don't even have to tell anybody. Some stuff is better left unsaid, but you gotta go deal with it to the point where you get to be at the point where you have no shame about your shame. And I don't care if you have to talk to a therapist or a life coach or a family member, whatever it is, it's got to get worked out because it's going to affect you in ways you would not have guessed. And so I thought I could hide this thing over here all these years. In fact, I didn't even tell Mark Sisson until about four years into the seven years I've worked for him. Again, such shame about it. I just couldn't even admit it. you know. And then finally I told him, I was wonderful. You've met Mark. He's the, the, the most loving person in the whole world. And he was so sweet about it. I also could not tell this story that I'm telling you without bawling, crying hysterically. I could barely get through this conversation before. Now, I, I don't have any shame about it. Clearly, I wrote a, wrote, wrote a chapter in a book. But the way it manifested, which was really the hard hit, was romantic relationships. So I told you about how I felt when I was younger and this happened to me. And then as I went through relationships, I would hide it from guys. I would kind of wait to be like, well, let me see if they say I love you first or let me gauge this because I don't want to tell anyone and get rejected or have them think less of me. But then you have this freaking secret, right, that you're hiding and it, that's not going to manifest good outcomes. It just isn't. And so it really came to a head about six years ago I was uh, in a relationship with a man who I really thought I was going to marry. And to this day, have nothing bad to say about him. We never even got in an argument. He's a wonderful human being. But what I noticed while I was dating him, I'm like, he's kind of like an emotional robot. And at first I thought it was cute. He was very kind of professional or very like staccato about the way he expressed himself. And he showed me that he loved me, but he could not speak words. There was no verbal intimacy between us. And after, you know, a year and hanging out with kids and having every holiday together and being intensely connected, 
I started to get that choked up feeling in my throat. So in hindsight, when I got the thyroid problem many years ago and I knew something was wrong, I was like, Hey, I'm not speaking up. I still didn't tell him, but we ended up breaking up. And I remember calling my life coach hysterically crying because it wasn't my choice to break up. I said, you know, this seems like a really cruel joke from the universe. You know, here I find this perfect guy and like the only thing wrong with him happens to be a big thing. You know, I can't go through my life going to bed at night, not hearing an I love you or, or any kind of words of appreciation in that emotional intimacy connection, right? That's, that's really what we seek. And so I'm crying to him and I'm like, this feels like a cruel joke. And he said something to me that kicked my butt and it was so true and it was so harsh. He said, you know, Elle, the universe doesn't play cruel jokes on people. So did you tell him about your disability? And I said, no, I didn't. He said, well, then I guess you're the emotional robot then, aren't you? You weren't emotionally available. You didn't offer that. What did you expect to get in return? And that was it for me, Anna, because I was so devastated by that breakup. I mean, I think I cried three times a day for the two years afterwards. I mean, I was such a mess over it. I thought, that's it. This is this has really screwed my life up enough. I, I got to stop hiding this. This cannot be. And anyone who loves me is going to accept me for this anyway. So I have to just come out with it. And so I started to do a little work. I called a few friends that were very open with me about their life that I had not shared this with. I felt a little bad about it because it felt like a one-sided relationship. And so I called a few friends and again, bawling, crying, telling them the story. I couldn't even get through it. They were all lovely and wonderful. And it brought us closer, you know, because vulnerability really is the name of the game, you know, and Side note, but I would argue that the most confident as F people are okay with vulnerability because it is the ultimate in not caring about what other people's opinions are of you. Then I finally got to the point, and this is really wonderful. I was, uh, I don't know if you've spoken with Karen Martell, but she's a fellow podcaster and a health coach. And she was, uh, we were talking one day a couple years ago and she said, you know, Elle, what's your, like, you do all these things. I know you make a bunch of different money in all these places, but like, what's your main stable source of income? Now, this was a question that I would dance around for 20 years because this was the conversation about my disability. And in that moment, I thought, all right, I have a choice to continue this charade of shame or I can just test this out here because I want a relationship and I am not going to get the one I want unless I overcome this. And so I told her the story and astoundingly, not surprisingly, if I didn't get the biggest gift from the universe to tell me I was on the right track, Karen said, well, oh my God, Elle, that's what happened to me. I have a hand disability because I was a body worker as a rolfer for 15 years and I ruined my hands. And now that's why I'm a podcaster and a health coach. And she said, the funny thing is I always wanted to be a health coach, but I thought it was unrealistic. But the universe cut the golden handcuffs off her wrist to force her into it. Now, cut to when I was a kid, I always wanted to be an actor, a performer in the entertainment industry, a public speaker, anything like that. But I thought too, that it was stupid and ridiculous. So I was like, I'm going to go to law school, make a ton of money. While I was applying to law school, I got that job where I started to make more than a starting attorney. And I thought, all right, screw it. So the golden handcuffs were also cut off of me. And now I am literally living my dreams and pursuing what I had once dreamt about as a kid, even more than I could have imagined because I never thought about being a writer then. And so this was interesting. And then two weeks after talking to Karen, it happened again, Anna, and you're not going to believe this one. I interview a woman, Jeslyn Moyet, M-O-Y-E-T on the uh, Primal Blueprint podcast. And someone said, you should interview her. She has a really interesting health story. 
And I didn't know what it was, but I thought I'd find out on the podcast. And as we're talking, I had to put the microphone on mute and I started bawling my eyes out because Jeslyn said she had a freak accident that led to severing almost every tendon and nerve leading to her left hand. And after she woke up after eight hours of emergency surgery and she couldn't feel her left hand, one of her first thoughts, horrible thought of shame, instantly she thought, am I ever going to feel a man put a ring on my finger? And I lost it. Within a couple of weeks of coming out about my shame, I meet two women with an unseen hand disability that's permanent. Come on. Like that's not even, you can't even write that. You know what I mean? And I lost it because I knew then that I was on the right path. I knew I was on the right path. And not only that, I met two women that really understand what it's like to be different. Now, everyone can see I can use my hands. I can play a game of ping pong with you. I can end up having arms, but I still have to gauge how and how much I use my arms. You know, I'm not going to wash dishes for you. I'm not going to help you move. You won't see me watching TV like this because that's pressure on my wrist. I, my body naturally knows it now after 20 years and moves it. So, and I work out and keep myself healthy, which is all a part of this. In fact, when I am in moments where I haven't worked out for a while, which is rare, that's when I have more flare-ups. But, you know, it's still sometimes hard to go in every couple of years for a random cortisone shot because, and Jeslyn and Karen understand this because it's like when you go in for that, it almost seals it in more. Like you try to put it out of your mind that you have this disability and then you have a flare up, you need a shot. And then, you know, it's kind of becomes real again. And clearly I've, I've healed so much from it just over the course of dealing with the shame of it, but shame is no joke. And it doesn't matter whether you hit a person drunk driving 10 years ago and killed them and you're feeling guilt and shame. It doesn't matter if you were molested as a child and you're feeling shame, or you have a really ugly mole on your back you're embarrassed about. I don't care how little people think it might be or how much it's discounted by others. Like, oh, don't worry. Who cares? No one cares. I care because it's important. You have to deal with the shame. And I was at, after that speech at Paleo FX last year, a girl came up to me and she was crying. She's like 26 years old. And she said, you know, I'm 26 and I got diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis when I was 19. And she said, and none of my friends understand, you know, they're all partying, enjoying the time of their life. And here I am. And I've got all these issues and they couldn't see them. They couldn't see her rheumatoid arthritis. And again, an, an unseen disability. And she said, you know, I didn't even know who you were. And I didn't even know what this speech was about. I just sat down because I thought, oh, I'll just see what this you know, speaker is going to talk about. And with tears in her eyes, she said, I thought that I had dealt with this, but I realize that I need to do more work. And that's why I'm coming out to talk about it, because it really disables confidence. In some area of your life, it's going to disable your confidence. And confidence is everything. Again, meaning inside out, self-esteem, courage, all-encompassing when I say confident as F. You know what I mean? And so here I am highly confident. Most people didn't know. I mean, almost everyone I talked to or interviewed were like, I had no idea. And I'm like, yeah, because I designed it that way because I was hiding it for so many years. And it is so freeing. And I'm proud of myself. But again, it's not about even going out and talking to inspire others. You got to deal with it inside with a therapist, with a coach, with someone. I don't care if it's a support group. You've got to deal with it because it will affect your life in a way you would not have foreseen and nothing is separate. 
And so that's just the cliff note version of that story, but it's one of the best chapters in the book. And I also never thought, Anna, that it would be a success story. When I was 22 and that happened to me, I thought it was effed for life. I certainly never thought I'd ever talk about it. I never thought I'd write about it. And I never thought it would be seen as inspiring, you know? And this just goes to show you, it's same with the paleothyroid solution. I never thought when I suffered for six years with two bouts of hypothyroidism, bawling my eyes out every morning, barely being able to get out of bed and even think, I never thought that that would become a success story and help people at that moment. And so the biggest gifts in life, they come wrapped in shit. They do. They do. And so if you're out there and you're dealing with some bad stuff, I'm telling you, there's some golden nuggets in there. You may not find out about them till later, but you keep persevering. You know, and so now I'm at the point where I get to use my voice. I mean, this is amazing, you know, and continue to in that foray. So the reason I wrote Confident as F is because I did notice over time in my life in general, people would come to me for confidence. It doesn't matter if it was a fellow employee who wanted to ask Mark for a raise and they were, you know, needed to like muster up some, you know, confidence there or whether someone was like, hey, I need advice on telling my really nasty patronizing boss off or it, it didn't matter what it was. People were always coming to me for this. It was an absolute theme. But you know what I learned from them is what I talked about earlier. I learned the benefits of vulnerability. I learned the benefits of diplomacy. I learned things from them, like I said, that I had pitfalls with, and they learned things from me. It wasn't a one-sided teaching relationship. And this book is not acronyms and to-do lists. This is real-life mini stories about people I've coached, people I know, my life, that after each one, you're like, okay, I get it. I've been had that to know that, um, and I know that's a long run, but that is really sort of that was my last piece to becoming confident as F was dealing with the shame. I think that's a huge place, and that's a really huge place to start too. You know, we think about shame and forgiveness and guilt, and the fact that you're saying being authentic about it, being vulnerable with it, and sharing it because through sharing it, you're finally giving someone else permission to have that freedom experience, that freedom too. And it feels icky initially, but now there's that severed cord. That's a story, right? It's no longer that emotional connection with you. You're able to feel that liberation and freedom from it versus carrying all that with you all the time. Yeah, it was really heavy. And I, and it's very lonely because when you're crying to friends and family member about it in their efforts to soothe you, they like, I don't know why you even feel this way. Like you shouldn't be worried about this. But again, that's kind of calling the person ridiculous for feeling that way versus getting to the core crux of what this is. You know, one of the best people I finally talked to about it after years of seeing a hand surgeon, because I get cortisone shots every now and then after like 10 or 12 years of seeing the same hand surgeon, I finally broke down in his office a couple years ago. And he said, really, despite what I thought, he was probably the best person to talk to. And he obviously has lots of disabled patients. And he was like, oh, listen, you know, these feelings are totally natural. He said, my patients who are in wheelchairs, they know that if they lose their hands, they're, they're done. They're done. And that is why I am so grateful to have them. I'm so grateful I can swim. One of the reasons I got into swimming, despite how horrible chlorine is, I get it, but one of the reasons I got into swimming was when I was first injured and I couldn't even, I couldn't even walk with my hands. You know, your arms move naturally. That was even too much. I, I couldn't do anything. My friend suggested, she said, you know, she was a swimmer and she said, you know, I'm at the pool and all these old guys with soldier surgery use uh, snorkel and masks 
to swim for their necks. And, you know, maybe you can get a snorkel mask and you can just like let your arms be dead weight in the pool and kick around so that, you know, you can get some exercise. And I did. And then eventually as I got out of work, didn't have to use my hands repetitively, went through a year of healing and was able to rest my hands and finally use them again in a normal way. I started to actually swim with my arms and now I am a regular swimmer. I don't swim every day, but I swim a couple days a week and it's been incredible joy in my life and healthy for me, but also really great for my arms. And so, you know, it's really interesting. And, um, I also understand two modifications because I can't do push-ups and things like that. Those are not appropriate for me. And I have a certain amount of weight that I can or can't lift based on some flare-ups. So I do have to do, you still use modifications and, and all of that. But in general, I am pain-free you know, 99% of the time. And then of course, if there's overuse or something random that I, I get a flare up. So it's still there, but at the end of the day, and this is what I said in my book, I'm not happy and successful now, despite my disability, I am successful and happy now because of it. It was a gift. And I would have that Porsche in that house and all the things I thought I you know, was going to have if I kept going with that company. And I can tell you what, right now at my age, like a lot of people my age, Kids are off to college or, you know, they're, they're approaching that and they're going, what am I doing with my life? What's my purpose? I was thrown into my purpose and I'm so grateful for it. So while they have like heavy savings and 401ks and they may have the mortgages and all the things that I wasn't able to do with 45 grand a year for all those years, it's okay because I'm so fulfilled in my life. And honestly, I'd rather have that. I mean, granted, I, I now definitely successful financially and able to, to, to move beyond that set amount that I got because of all the things that I have done over the years. But I would rather have this. I really would. So you never know what's going to throw you into the purpose or some avenue that's going to lead you somewhere you never thought you could go. When I was hypothyroid and so bloated and fat, I was pursuing acting as a leading lady and I was going out for all these great wonderful series, regular roles and things like that. When I got fat and bloated and all the horrible symptoms that happened with hypothyroidism, I remember then going, oh my God, well, I can't be the leading lady now because I know what that entails. So I literally had this thought. I was like, well, I'll go back into comedy because maybe I'll get hired as like the fat, funny friend and went into comedy and that turned me into a writer. It turned me into a writer. I wrote sketches all the time, I've written over 100 sketch comedy sketches, just like you see on SNL. We did live shows. After a while, I was like, wait a minute, I've done all these really funny sketches. We should write a screenplay. Maybe it's a sitcom. And then now I have an award winning documentary out there and two books, which I never would have thought. So one disability led me to a life dream, and the, other, the, the first disability led me to having the time to not work to solve the thyroid disability. They both were hand in hand in the ultimate direction of both of my dreams. And I could have never predicted or chosen this. And I wouldn't have chosen it any other way because the way it's end up is so serendipitous and perfect. And that's another message too. The unknown possibilities are where it's at. It really is. Yeah, I think it's beautiful. And, and thank you for sharing it with us, Al. I mean, your story is really impactful. And, you know, I feel that hear the courage. It's like, okay, well, I have to can't go this way. Let me go this way. There's not stop or, you know, there's not that stop and 
dead end for you. You know, you really continue to navigate the best way and staying in tune for, for what is your purpose. And there's so much of a huge message there for each and every one of us to listen to. In your book, Confident as F, you talk about you know many principles to help encourage this confidence. And I love how you give anecdotes and stories along the way. There are some key principles. What are a couple of those key principles you want to send us home with today? Let's start with a couple. Confident people do not compete. When you compete, you lose. And let me explain that. So someone might be like, well, that's ridiculous. If I'm in a sports competition, I'm in it to win it and beat others. No, actually. So there's two ways of looking at it. You're in a sports competition. When I'm in a competition like that, let's say, I'm not looking at like, I can't wait to kick their butts. I'm just looking at like, I'm going to be number one. I'm going to prevail. My sense of worth and winning is not about you and your failure. There are two different vibrations going on there. Do you see what I'm saying? One is really like, you know, because someone else is going to ha ha in your face. And the other is I'm just going to be a winner. (laughs) Yeah, there's other people. I'm just going to be a winner. So when you compete, you lose. Confident people don't justify and apologize. How many people are saying sorry for everything that's not their fault? And also someone asks you to do something like, hey, you want to go see this movie on Friday with me? And then you go on a long justification explanation because you feel bad about saying no. We've got to get to the point where we're just okay with saying, no, thank you, but I appreciate the offer. That's it. No one also wants to hear it on the other side. It's very weak and bubbling. And it's like, just just be confirm in yourself. You talk about, well, you didn't mention the word, but you know, you mentioned, I mean, I think what you meant was that you didn't see that I was ever a true victim, that I was always trying to move forward. I have a section there called your victim application has been denied. I met a 50 year old woman who was sitting there ripping on her mom saying, gosh, you know, had she steered me in the right direction or pushed me or motivated me further, I'd be in a better place now. She's trying to justify her lack of success. And I asked her, how long have you known or were realized that perhaps your mother wasn't maybe the best mom? Like you're 50 now. So, so when did you kind of go, oh yeah, my mom wasn't so great. She said, I don't know, maybe like when I was 30 years old, I go, so for the past 20 years, you're blaming your mom? Uh-uh. Your victim application has been denied. No. How long are you going to let someone's likely false opinion of you win? Not if I can help it. No. You're not, but most people do. And also we've got stories from the past. We've got parental garbage. We've got stories that happen that we take on that aren't true, that mold our experience and mold what we are attracting. That has to end. We have to clean that stuff up. So it's about ditching bad vibes like downers and toxic people and also how to deal with them. And it's also about cleaning up some parental garbage and things from the past that might be affecting your life. How do you know you might have these things? Because there's a pattern. There's a pattern somewhere. Maybe you keep getting fired from jobs. Okay, well, we need to look at that. You know, maybe this keeps happening in relationships. Like with me, I had to look at that. That was the portion of my life that was not going well when everything else was going great. So, you know, confident people also are, they are kind, you know, they are sometimes often very silent. And I think it's really important that this is just really a motivator for everybody to get inside and do some self-examination because nobody cares more about you than you. And you know this with health. We talked about this with thyroid. You've got to learn this stuff because no one is going to handhold you through it, not even a therapist. You can go to a therapist, talk for an hour. What are you doing and thinking the rest of the time? So our thoughts, our tribe around us, the kind of 
bad things. I was like, yeah, great. Well, but like, tell me how to do it or give me more info. Like you're not getting me blood tests. You're not telling me what to do. And I feel the way about all the books on confidence and self-esteem. They're very like theoretical and professorial. And I wanted to break it down and be like, let me just break out. These are real life examples that we have all been through. Everybody would go, mm, yeah, mm, I know that one. You know what I'm saying? Confident people also, the last one I would say is they are not jealous. If you are a jealous person, you got you need this book and you need to turn your life around immediately because when we are jealous of others, that is secretly hoping that the other person fails at the thing we're jealous of. That is a horrible vibration to put out. Often the person succeeds beyond and that doesn't fail because and it backfires on the person who's jealous. So, you know, jealousy is a sense of, well, they have this thing that I don't have and there might be a lack of out there. I also talk about women being pro-women. You know, if someone comes to me and they're like, hey, I want to be an author and a podcaster like you, I don't feel threatened at all. There's enough room for all of us. And I'm going to help you do what you need to do. We've got to stop engaging in or hanging out with women that are like, you know, the housewives on TV who are bickering and arguing with each other. You know, I'm willing to be the new spokesperson for women. So as far as women goes, we need to get pro-women. And if you're hanging out with women who you don't think are encouraging and are lifting you up and, and, and promoting your, your dreams and, you know, they're always skeptical or naysayers, then guess what? They don't want you to succeed and you get rid of them or you minimize your contact. So there's so many things in this book that are just real and tangible to be able to clean up your life and ditch these vibes and, and get on with it because the only thing holding you back from the things that you want are likely speaking up or these other elements we've talked about. You couldn't say that better. I remember hearing a quote from Oprah and she said one thing about, and this can probably be translated to victim mentality, but trauma is an explanation. It is not an excuse. Trauma is an explanation. It's not an excuse. So we can understand, okay, these things happened in our past, these things. So how are we rewriting our present? So what is a, a skill that you've developed and that you recommend and coach on for those who have been, who have been victims, for those of us who have had this trauma, have had this written on our souls to be able to release that moving forward to be confident as Well, without the details of a specific person, let's say who's going through whatever, I would say the blanket overall on that is if you really think about it, it's incredibly illogical to allow someone's action towards you in life. Again, maybe you were raped. That's a horrible traumatic event. Oh my God. It's horrific. I, I'm not discounting that at all. Holy, no, no way. Yes. That's a disaster. And it doesn't even matter. It could be that severe, or it could be something like you had a parent who just told you were nothing your whole life and never going to amount to anything. But what you're doing is you are letting that trauma, that person, that event win. You are letting it overpower your life. If you really look at it that way, is that what you want? Do you really want, like, because then they win. They win. And in this primal world, we're still in a meat suit. Mm -mm. You know, and that's the other thing too. Talk about ancestral primal health. We do need to be valued by our tribe. You could be a confident person just because you're a wonderful friend that everyone's to hang out with. You don't need to have a resume and a bunch of accomplishments. You could be a housewife. This is not about becoming some, you know, corporate badass. But are you really going to allow these people to dictate your life? Then you have let them win. And I am not going to stand by and let people do that. I'm really not. Now, there's details as how you might work through something very traumatic like that. Clearly, you need counseling. You might need sexual therapy to be open again. 
with that traumatic incident, but with something like, you know, the mother that told you amounted to nothing, it's like, you can choose to be angry at them and, you know, your whole life, but essentially you're, you're proving them right. You're proving them right on something that wasn't even true. It was projected onto you and people in this world are going to project their lack of confidence on a thing to you. And it happened with me and I put it in the book. And then later after I wrote the book, I showed it to the person. And this was the example. When I was about to pitch Mark Sisson, the paleothyroid solution for him to publish, I went to a family member and I was like, I'm so excited. I'm going to pitch my book to Mark. And this was their response. Uh, but you've never written a book before. Oof. Okay. That's the first hit. All right. Pretty, pretty crappy. It's kind of like saying, mm, I don't know. Can you really do it? So then I pitched the book to Mark and he says, great. We'd love to publish it. I go back to the family member. They said, well, I'm going to write it. Like, like what, what? Again, don't believe you can do it. Hitting at my confidence. This is a person who loves me, who's normally encouraging of me. This is not a bad person. So this can come from even people we love. This is just standard skeptic junk. And then the third one was Barnes & Noble bought a thousand copies of the book before we even published it, probably before they even had a copy to read. And I told the family member that and they go, well, that's silly. Why would Barnes & Noble take a risk like that and buy your book without even reading it? So now they've relegated me to where I'm fail. I'm, I failed. I'm going to be an embarrassment. It's going to, you know, and, and then, and then during the writing of my book, aside from that family member, I had a friend who loves me, is encouraging of me, but again, anybody can be a downer and came to me and called me one day, like checking in on me, like a parent would when their kid's school homework is due and it's midnight. And they called me and they're like, what are you doing? Are you writing? Where, how far are you? Da, 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 da. And I said, dude, enough. Don't project your lack of confidence on me just because you've never written a book. I've never not finished something I haven't started. You've known me for 30 something years and I definitely don't need you to be a downer. That was the end of that conversation. And that's why it's good also to have confidence as have friends because you can do a mic drop like that and it's a two second. We've never gotten into a fight. It was just a moment. That's it. Now I did bring the book to the family member and I go, that is you. You are this downer right here. They read through it and they read through it and they were like, Oh my God, I, I, I didn't mean it that way, but I can see, I go, can you see how rude that was? So I'm down with other people's confidence. So should you let people fail unless you want yours chumped on. Enough is enough. And that's where the downers come in. And I've got like the downer effect series in that book, which is like nine downers that goes through these types of things. I've been a downer. We all have been, but usually it's when people are kind of rolling their eyes. I have a twist on a old quote, but my version is no one ever built a statue to a skeptic. Okay. You've never seen a statue, a national monument anywhere with a placard said, this guy questioned everything <laughs> that ever, you know, no one ever, we build statues to people that believed in the impossible, that believed in something that we all didn't think could happen and they made it happen. That's who we erect monuments and statues to usually, you know what I mean? Not skeptics. So the world is skeptical. You are going to say, I want to start a new business and some friend is going to go, Ooh, I don't know. I just read in business week that 50% of new businesses fail. Well, you know what? F you. How about I'm going to be on the 50% of the side of the businesses that succeed? I have a choice. Yeah. And I had the same thing when I would, I told someone I was a writer once, this is their first response, literally verbatim. They said, so are you a writer that like makes money at it? Or do you just like work at Starbucks and like right there, but like do something else? And I said, whoa, I said, that is really rude. Would you ask a real estate agent? Hey, do you have your license, but you don't sell houses and you just like live at home? And they go, well, no, it's different. I mean, I go, no, it's not different. 
it's not different. I also had someone say to me when I told them I was a writer, they go, Ooh, that's, it's really, that's a tough competitive industry. And I said, not for all of the people succeeding at it. It isn't, is it right? So, so which way are you going to go? You're going to be on the side of the people that succeed at it or not, you know? And so again, it's just how you look at things, but it's going to come at you from every angle. And that's why you need the book. That's why you need to do this work so that you can be aware. It's going to come at you from strangers. It's going to come at you from loved ones, even though they are well-meaning. And are you going to let that chip away at your dreams and prevent you from pursuing stuff you love? Or are you going to be like, no, because to me, it's not about proving them wrong. It's about proving yourself awesome. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, I love that. And, you know, I think it's such an eye-opener to read the downers and to say, oh my gosh, well, I just did that. Or, you know, okay, that's an awareness check-in, right? That's like, and especially as a mom to kids, like, yeah, man, how am I, how am I uh, encouraging their dreams? And how am I inspiring their dreams? And I think it's really, really cool. We were just, oh, a funny story. We were at my, uh, just in Washington, D.C. My brother, my younger brother, John, he's a few, 11 months younger than me. So we grew up like twins. Well, he just was sworn in to the U.S. Uh, Foreign Commercial Service as the intellectual property liaison or ambassador, attache actually, to all of South Asia. So he is the only non-attorney to ever hold his position that he's been in with the USPTO as director in Silicon Valley for the USPTO, the only non-attorney to do that. And one thing that he got asked all the time, we had this conversation, he said, you know, people would always ask him, well, how, you know, how did you get to this position? And he said, you know, it's, it's really simple. If there was something to be done, I did it. You know, it's like, I didn't question my degree or my field of specialty, or I just, I just did it. Right. And that's like, you know, I didn't need that qualification, you know, was able to surpass that recommended qualification. So, but on the way home from his swearing in, that was a side story. We had the opportunity, we got into a fender bender. And so our car ended up having to be towed away and we have a rental car on the way home. So really was proud. I was there in the car with my uh, three of my daughters and uh, made the best of the entire situation. Okay, we're in North Carolina. Let's stop and get Smithfield chicken, right? Or Smithfield barbecue. And um, and uh, get this rental car and head home. And there was good, I mean, my kids were good about it. a little bit shaken from the accident, but you know, no one was hurt. And we were all just like, okay, move on. We can do this. But on the way home, we just started talking, what would your vision board look like? Like, what does your vision board look like? And, you know, how, what are your dreams around it? And I, and I had made that, this mental check to myself because Sherry Salata had brought this up in one of her talks or podcasts was just do the vision work. Don't think about the how, right? Don't limit yourself on the how. Don't think, how am I going to get there, right? Because I think about that with my brother. If he said, well, you have to be an attorney to be qualified for this position. Well, now he's, you know. He would have never made it because he would have had that limiting belief. And he would have been like, well, who cares? I had someone recently say to me something like they were like, well, I'd love to, you know, I'd love to write a book someday, but like, it's really hard to get an agent. And then the agent has to pitch it to a publisher. And I was like, er record scratch. I was like, um, hi, have you met me? I went directly to my publisher and did not have to get an agent. So your story about limitation is untrue in my life. 
you know? So, and it's untrue for probably a lot of other people as well. It's interesting you said the how, when, you, when you're talking about law of attraction, quantum physics, science of mind, power of subconscious mind, intention, any of that stuff. And I would push anybody that if you're looking for science behind these seemingly hippy-dippy principles, the best book on that is by Lynn McTaggart called The Intention Experiment. She goes through all of the scientific experiments that actually warned that mental intention does affect matter, does affect our lives. The cursed house is what Mike Dooley, another great speaker on this topic, talks about. When you are in the how of something, you are limiting the otherwise unknown possibilities to come in. Like it has to be, it has to be this way. I have to do it this way. This is the trajectory. There might be another way there has been for many people. It's not to say you don't take inspired action. That's different from the how, you know, but a lot of people are like five steps ahead. They're like, I want to do this. So then I got to do that. Then I got to do that. And then I probably do that. And you know what? You're going to end up again. It's like God make God laughs at your plans. It's going to laugh at your plans. It actually might even happen faster than you think it could. It might happen in a better, more serendipitous way than you could have planned the how it was going to happen. In every area of my life, it has been true when I have tried to plan that. It has happened in ways that I could have not foreseen. And that's the co-creation, right? So these cursed hows, again, people are very, it's a limiting belief. It's, it's just on a one track. You can still do that. Like, yes, if you want to be a partner of a law firm. Okay. Well, yeah, you're going to have to get your law degree. You're going to have to do some things, have to get a job at the law firm. Okay. I get that. There are benchmarks and things in certain industries that are calculatable, but at the end of the day, you don't have to, if you want to be something right now, you just start somewhere. If you want to be a singer, watch a YouTube music lesson, take a class, sing karaoke, just start somewhere. But in not starting somewhere and thinking like, oh my God, there's this whole laundry list that I have to complete to get there. And I don't know how I'm going to do it. That's going to hold you back. You're never going to get there. And I firmly believe in that. And I practice that on a regular basis. And it's funny, it happened to me recently. I was thinking about a, a, a career thing that I really wanted. I had thought I had no resistance to it. But I knew some people in that arena that I thought, you know what, I'm going to contact them and rack their brain about it. And I had no resistance. I was just like, okay, when I see them, I'll bring it up. Sure enough, without even ever bringing it up, I got an email asking me, basically offering me that same thing I had been thinking about. Usually when we're like, I've got to, I've got to, I've got to do it. That's resistance, you know? And so if you let go and just go, you know what? Unseen possibilities. Joe Dispenza is a great writer on this topic and anyone who writes about the power of the subconscious mind or law of attraction, for those of you out there wanting to understand how to change your mind to the forward thinking and unknown possibilities. Because I guarantee that everyone listening has had something in their life, when it was or what it was. And I guarantee if you look back, the strange series of events that led to that happening were things you could not have even written yourself that happened even better than you could have designed it. And so that's why we still have, we have to leave a lot of room open. I, I always say that, and I said it in my speech last year at Paleo FX, that the best stuff is in the unknown. It's just the fearful unknown, but we have to learn to embrace it. It's not fearful to me anymore. It's exciting. It's like what kind of magic and stuff I don't even know can come in. I love it. I love it. You bring to light one of my favorite quotes. It's, she believed she could, so she did, right? have it on a coffee mug. I have it on my walls. She believed she could, so she did. It's not just belief. It's belief with action. It's not just faith. It's faith with action, right? And just keeping that limitless possibility open. So 
Elle, I want to thank you for your time today. Tell us where we can get your book and read about it and learn more about you and connect with you more. Well, you can always go to my website, lrust.com. And I do have a free thyroid guide there with all the tests. And so if you, you know, if you have a thyroid issue and that's your thing, you can go there. My book's also on my website, but you can go to amazon.com. You can type in F-U-C-K, the full word, the asterisk, it will come up and it's on Kindle and paperback. And uh, yeah, just getting a lot of great. And you know, another thing too, is I've had some people who bought it for like every member of their family. If you know people that are simmering in victimhood or are negative or toxic or are, or are just need to gain confidence in an arena, get them the book because I'll tell them if you won't. <laughs> I'm straight up. I mean, my, my, my book, you've read, it's, I, I'm a no BS person. Everyone listening to me can understand that. And some of my books kind of a little harsh. It, it, there's some harsh deliveries in there for a reason. Tough love is, is applicable places. So if you really need to like kick a friend's butt or something, you know, this is a good book for them too. <laughs> I love it. All right. Confident as a few asterisk K and find it at lrust.com. Amazon, anywhere books are sold. So I'm excited about this book. And I know I'm going to have my daughters reading it too. I'm looking forward to going through it in more detail. And I thank you for this. I thanks for being so vulnerable and open and authentic and bringing this out to the world. Thank you for letting me share my work on your podcast a second time and look forward to interviewing you soon about your new book. So Oh, I can't wait to share it with you. I want to thank each and every one of you in our audience today for being part of the conversation. And with that, I want you to go ahead and comment below. Comment below this if you're listening to this in my website, or you can go ahead and comment at dranna.com. Go to the Couch Talker podcast page and just put your comments, questions, what this has brought up in you. And I'm sure you've got some great pearls from this conversation and this probably brought up some great stories and I read each and every one of them so I encourage you to to share with me what you're what you're thinking and please review Couch Talk we I love each and every one of the reviews I read them and I see this kind of growing sisterhood this growing community of open authentic and really positive people too and some people like Ella's talked about you know dealing with some hard and coming here for help. And I want to be able to continue to address your questions, your concerns, and help you along in this journey because you're not alone. None of us are alone. And I'm excited to be here with you. So really enjoyed our guest today, Elle Russ. I've had her on before. I love her. We'll be at Paleo FX at the end of April. I encourage you to join us. We have information in my emails coming out. So I'm sure you're on my email list, but double check and make sure you'll see our Sunday emails with upcoming events and and how to get tickets and more information on that. But it is a fabulous event with fabulous people. Again, thank you for being with us on Couch Talk and I will see you next week. Bye.